Essa música é do poeta da Portela, Carlos Elias. Homenagem ao mestre Nelson Cavaquinho. Que a noite vem chegando É tempo de ouvir o seu cantar Há sempre muita gente te esperando Ansiosamente em algum lugar Poeta dos cabelos cor de prata Serenatas Embalaste com teu violão Quem me dera ter Um pouco ainda que fosse Da tua doce inspiração Quem me dera ter Um pouco ainda que fosse Da tua doce inspiração Teu gorjeio, embora rouco, é tão bonito Tanta verdade há nos versos dos teus sambas Que se um dia tu mentires, eu te acredito Cigarra noturna Aceite este samba Caminho, passo a passo De quem deseja ser Um pouco do que és Seguindo teu caminho Passo a passo Government 117, uh, welcome to the second edition of the Communist Manifesto podcast. I'm here with Professor Heather Sullivan of Hamilton College Government Department. Indeed. And we're going to cover, uh, I think we'll probably have a couple more quotes from part two just to refresh your memory, and then we'll do a little bit of part three, which is pretty weird. Right, The text is pretty front-loaded, but there's some interesting and important things and lots of like... Uh, I guess you would call it juicy, juicy G in part three. Who? Juicy G in part three. <laughs> nice little rhyme. That's that's gossip. If we haven't, juicy G is the gossip part. All right. I looked up. I looked up some. Uh, all that a solid melts into air. Oh, good, good, good. Right. What kind of all that is? What is what? So how has this is been book used? 
by the Marxist writer Marshall Berman. Oh, of course, Marshall Berman. Maybe that's what I was thinking of, that not was, Zygmunt Bowman. That was published in the 80s. Called all yeah, the he was a uh, great of uh, City University of New York, Marshall Berman. Yeah. yeah, really weird hair. Yes, he's a giant shaggy. Well, he's dead, beard, but I think. Uh, well, had I guess. Yeah. yeah. He wrote that like Adventures in Marxism too. I think that had the like silly Marx on the cover. Yeah, he's um, good. Now the Politics of Authenticity, I think, was his yes, first also, book. Also him. Yeah, good. He's got great stuff on Montesquieu's Persian Letters in there. I used oh, to teach. I used to teach uh-huh. from that book. Nice, nice. Uh, in developing my own lectures on on the uh, uh, Persian Letters. Yeah. Uh, also, apparently, an Irish novelist has had a breakout novel by oh. the same name oh. that has, like, some Chernobyl backdrop. Jesus. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. So it's critical of Marxism, I suppose. <laughs> I it's got a Chernobyl. Like Chernobyl vibe. Yeah, yeah. And finally, you could find several albums, it looks like, on Bandcamp. Of course you could. Titled. Of course you could. And there looked even more obscure to be a Danish collection. With the same title that I could only find on Discogs. Mm, deep cuts. Deep, deep cuts. cuts. Now, I suppose that there are important questions to ask about why Marxists, why Orthodox Marxists in the 21st century are so of a type. You know, like, why... Why are they so of a type? I mean, the, the, I don't know if we can. I don't think we can actually answer that question shit. anymore because I don't think we know enough. Orthodox Marxists. Orthodox Marxists. Yeah. I think we have a vision that is maybe dated. We totally have a dated I don't vision. Know, I don't know. What I mean, the question like. is whether. I mean, this is something that's in the slides as well. Is about the the declining relevance of Marx. Um, which is is. I don't it, know. I mean. I don't know. I mean, not. I'm not sure that's true. I mean, okay, so if I mean among. I mean among. I mean among countercultural intellectuals. Do you think that's true? I don't know. I do think it's true. But what about the Bernie Bros? They're not Marxists. We're getting there. We're right. getting there. There's many varieties of socialism, and I'm not convinced that they're Marxists. Okay, fair enough. And fair I'm not convinced. But I still, they're still definitely influenced by. I mean, this is your the thing we opened up the last podcast with about the influence of this being so profound and dramatic. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Of Marxist thought. Marxist I mean. thought. Certainly. Certainly. Now, there are certain corners, probably, of the Bernie Bro world that are more Marxist than others. The ones that are far more interested in the working class. Right. And in working class movements and are really interested in in that in that side of things. But you know, half of the Bernie Bros are also into like what do they call it? Modern monetary theory, right? Which is like far from Marxist. There's a good one. Um Lunch with Financial Times from last week was with uh, Stephanie Kelton, like the dean of – she's not the dean. She's an economist at Stony Brook who's okay. like the – you should check it out. Right, um, yeah, Stephanie Kelton is her name and and it's – I forget what the uh, – The Myth of Deficits I think is her new book that she's hawking. Okay. Okay. Um, so the, it's not Marxist. You know, like some of this stuff isn't Marxist economics even if it – even if it gets called that, and even right, if it, right, it's not right. Marxist, right, 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 which is so focused on the working class, right, right, and like so obsessed with like highly 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Pedantic and technical kinds of analysis and observation. Right. So you've got loads. I guess this is a prelude. This is a nice prelude to the conversation because part three is all about like the varieties of, of things that might get lumped in with Marxism that are decidedly not, not Marxism. Right, 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 right. And I think this is some of what makes the, the, ortho, the orthodox Marxist such a bore right. is that he's constantly <laughs> right. distinguishing himself from everything from else. other kinds. Well, it's not Marxist. I mean, yeah, you're yeah, not really yeah, Marxist. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Or, I mean, that's not really how they talk. No, no. That's, that's more... I don't know. I don't it's know how they talk. It's a fake voice that we hear. I really don't know how they talk. Well, actually, they're not really Marxists. Something like that. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. I just don't. We don't know them, you know? No. Sometimes when I don't shave for a few days, feel- I look a little <laughs> like that, I think. Like you're imagining of the... the- <laughs> it's like young you in old form. Yeah, young, young me in old form. <laughs> All right, I'm reading. 83. All the preceding classes that got the upper hand sought to fortify their already acquired status by subjecting society at large to their conditions of appropriation. The proletarians cannot become masters of the productive forces of society except by abolishing their now previous mode of appropriation and thereby also every other previous mode of appropriation. They have nothing of their own to secure and to fortify. Their mission is to destroy all previous securities for and insurances of individual property. Yeah, I like this. This is the punctuation of the, this is what punctuates part two, where essentially Marx says, you know, the bourgeoisie says the communists are coming after everything. And we are. Right? Like, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what part two is, right? Is like right. the bourgeoisie is terrified that we're going to destroy property. The bourgeoisie is terrified that we're going to destroy freedom. The bourgeoisie is terrified that we're going to destroy the family. And to that, I say, we yes, <laughs> we're destroying all of those things in their bourgeois. No, yeah, because form. first he's like, but you already destroyed them. about the family, Assholes. especially, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's but a good one. That, those are good. Those, that's really that's really nice. That's where Marx is really hitting the moral. You already destroyed religion. You already destroyed the family. And you already destroyed freedom by yeah. making it purely economic. Yeah. And you already destroyed property by transforming property, yeah. property yeah. into capital that right. made capital the only form. Yeah. So you think we're coming after it, and we are. Mm-hmm. Sorry. But you ruined it first. But you ruined it first. And there's, I think actually I have a good quote for you that maybe comes after that that will be really nice on this. But Marx is saying here the reason that we have to destroy everything is that that's really all we can do as right. the proletariat. We have nothing. Right. Like, so we have to tear it yeah, all the down. The proletarians cannot become masters of the productive forces of society. They're not going to become the capitalists. Unless you tear it down. Right. And they're, ne- they're never going to become capitalists. Right. Yeah. They cannot. That's what it means when yeah. it says they can't become masters of productive forces. Unless they, they tear it down. Unless they tear it down. Yeah. So I think that's a nice, I mean, it partly explains, and it goes back to what we were saying, right? Um, the last time we talked about the downward pressure, right? This continuous right. downward pressure on everyone means that at a certain point, there's going to be no, there's no, there's no alternative for right. people at the bottom of this. I mean, I guess there's a top, a, a very teeny top and a huge bottom, but that huge bottom has no real economic recourse. Right. And so, yeah, 
they're going to take all your shit. <laughs> right, if they if they do tear it down. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. coming for you. Yeah. If they if they can manage to get it together. Which they can't. Which they can't. Yeah. And Marx kind of knows that. He talks about it, right? Even in the manifesto, I think. Uh, probably in elusive ways. He talks about everything in the manifesto. Yeah, he does. All right, should I keep going? Keep going. 86. In bourgeois society, therefore, the past dominates the present. In communist society, the present dominates the past. In bourgeois society, capital is independent. Oh, and there's a typo, sorry. In bourgeois society, capital is independent and has individuality, while whilst the living person is dependent and has no individuality. Sorry, I got a little... It says hand instead of hand. <laughs> I got sorry. really kind of sorry. distracted. Is the independent hand of... The independent what? hand of individuality. Um. Okay, in bourgeois society, capital is independent and has individuality. Whilst the living person, oh, is dependent and has no individuality. Right. This is a little bit of that thing. Yeah. Like you already destroyed this shit anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. You've, but but I like I like two elements of this, right? There's two moments, there's two great rhetorical pieces here, right? That in bourgeois society, the past dominates the present. What do you think that means? I was trying to understand that in the context. Yeah, what, of do you, what, what do I, you think it means? Well... Initially, I was just thinking about the constant familial jokes because of my giant <laughs> Italian family yeah, who's yeah. obsessed with the past. And I guess I thought that didn't seem very bourgeois or modern, right? Mm-hmm. And I I'm guess, listening. yeah, so I guess I was like, I was a little taken by surprise when I read that because... yeah. Well, so what would it mean that, what does he say, in communist society, the present dominates the past? Yeah. What do you think that would mean? I mean, I mean, that sounds a little zen, right? Where we're like in the present moment where, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, sure. Maybe this is why the countercultural went east in the, uh, yeah. the counterculture <laughs> what goes east in the 60s is they get really stoned and fixated on this, <laughs> this particular passage of the manifesto. I'm like, okay, to so be my a good mom Marxist. came from an Italian family and is obsessed with the past, but then tried to become zen. <laughs> I don't know. It's the past dominating the present. The the past dominating the present in Marx has uh, previously what Marx has described as this like process of accumulation, right? In which um, this consistent, the consistent sort of proletarianization in the present. Yes. Okay. Is being dominated by capital past accumulation of capital. Okay. I get that. Right. Yeah. And what, because it's not past ideas which are constantly being renovated. And no, then, no, no, no. It's your no. past accumulation. So it's, it's never like, ideas yeah. that are doing any domination. It's always economic relations in Marx. Right, but they determine the ideas. That determine the ideas, right? But so, yeah. So it's always – Marx is all the, – the important dynamics for Marx are always economic. Right. Or the right. important di- – yeah, did I say dynamics or did I say ideas? The important, I think you said dynamic. The important dynamics is always economic. And so when he talks about the past dominating, it's not about memory. 
Right, right, right. It's not about memory. Right, right. It's about past economic right. activity, right. accumulation from the past. Right. So this is the sense of like redistribution. Communism is about redistribution where you're going to have, if the present dominates the past, it's essentially that that past accumulation is no doesn't longer, matter. right? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You don't accumulate. You don't accumulate. Yeah. You don't have familial wealth. Right. Right. And I guess it is sort of, if you read that first sentence in light of the second sentence, right, where it's like, Capital is what is the individuality, Bingo. right? So Bingo. That's sort of the right? Bingo. It's like that's the personified. Insofar as there's a memory, it's being had by capital, right? Right. And capital doesn't have a memory, right? Because it's an it's inanimate just, object. It's, it's not even real. Yeah. Right. Especially now. It can't have a memory. Yeah. Yeah. And then this idea of individuality, I think this is what makes. I mean, it's those notes of Marx that are so sort of romantic that I think make Marx appealing and Marxism appealing to sort of countercultural intellectuals of this idea that like what's really destroying our individuality is our economic relations. Right. 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 What's, what is making me dependent? What is making me a cog? Right. And I mean, in a way it's like fun when you get to the ruling ideas stuff, which the manifesto actually doesn't have very much of, if I remember correctly. It's got a couple lines. But not much. It doesn't really develop them. That must be somewhere else. The ruling ideas of every age have always been the ideas of the ruling class. Yeah. That's the manifesto. But he doesn't really elaborate, does he? I don't know. The whole thing about bourgeois property, the whole thing about bourgeois freedom. I can't remember. Anyway, nonetheless, I guess I was thinking about that in the sense of, uh, what was I thinking about? I don't know. You tell me. I don't know. What were you thinking about? I lost my train of thought. Should we we tell them how the sausage is made here? That this is, we're doing this, this one immediately after. This is a double header. This is a back to back. (laughs) Double header. It is now, uh, you know, 945, 10 till 10 on April 20th, Monday. Yeah. What was I thinking? It was. I'm sure it was really smart. You guys. about the ruling ideas of every age being the ideas of the ruling class. Oh, maybe something just about the f- fact that like, yeah, capital doesn't. Oh, I know what I was about to good, talk good. about. Good. Okay, sorry, I had to get back my train of thought here, which is um, the ruling ideas of the time set it up so that we think that our individuality is like based on this on capitalism, right? I mean, the yeah. whole like. Yep. Like freedom is economic. Right. It's freedom, freedom of buying economic. and selling. And like that, like our individuality is about the fact that we like don't, right? I mean, we don't want a welfare state because like that would make us too much alike, right? We don't want We'd too be much dependent equality. On the government. Like, and like it's like too equal, right? Like how would we distinguish ourselves, right? And so I think that's where I was mm-hmm. sort of thinking mm-hmm. about was this sort of if you think about this in that kind of ruling ideas sense that yeah. it's if like you that think the ruling that- ideas are actually giving us a message that is the opposite of what Marx is saying here. Yes. If you think that individuality is your capacity to buy and sell. Right. Yes. If you think that. Right. We're coming for your individuality. Right. You shouldn't think that because it's stupid is what no, Marx says. I, right. Marx says, no, but I think Well, not that, that it's stupid, but that like it's, it's not – we change these things all the time. And right. the idea that we would that, – that, it would not change the idea. I mean, this is what I like about part two where he's like, he's like the idea that the bourgeoisie 
seems to think that freedom, property, and the family right. as ideas cannot change right. is bizarre right. given their position at completely destroying right. feudalism. Right. That like right. somehow you yeah. somehow you have persuaded yourself yes. that your what you value will never change, mm-hmm. even though you displaced older values. Right. And that existed for not a just goodly a, amount of time. Just a second. I mean, like, yeah. 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 I like that element. Right. I think that is appealing. I think it's really smart. And I think that it is rhetorically a really powerful thing. Right. But also just like, just as a, just as a matter of conceptual analysis, like what makes the bourgeoisie special? I mean, nothing. Right. I mean, <laughs> you've created this large productive apparatus or whatever, but like it threatens to overwhelm you. Right. And so well, how do like, you not see it's that it's going to destroy you? At this point, you even created it exactly because it's the past accumulation. Right. Yes. That is like, you are now like it's like, you know what it is? It's like it's like that scene in Indiana Jones <laughs> in the in the uh, maybe the Temple of Doom or Raiders of the Lost Ark with the with the with the um, boulder. Coming yeah, down, yeah, you know, it's like the iconic yeah, scene yeah, where yeah, he's yeah. running through the right, thing, yeah. you know, <laughs> and it's like the boulders chasing him. And that it, Marx is looking at capitalism and is like, y'all are Indiana Jones. Right, right. You know, right. Maybe I mean, maybe they haven't seen Indiana Jones. <laughs> but in the movie, he gets away. Right. He gets it. Well, they always do. Yeah. I mean, they still have. Well, right. Some of them do. Right. This is, I think, the point. I mean, there, some if don't. There was like some running behind him that were like weaker than. Yes. Yeah, and Indiana Jones turns around and says, hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, page 88. The selfish misconception that induces you to transform into eternal laws of nature and of reason, the social forms springing from your present mode of production and, from, and form of property, this misconception you share with every ruling class that has preceded you, What you see clearly in the case of ancient property, what you admit in the case of feudal property, you are of course forbidden to admit in the case of your own bourgeois form of property. Just what we said. Just what we said. That it's absolute insanity. Right. That you would think, oh, we've done it. That you think, well, no, that like all of a sudden the present moment becomes the eternal laws of nature. Right. And of reason. He, right. you know, gets into ideas here, I think, a little bit, right? That sense that, like... Your attempt to transform right. particular economic conditions into well, universal your, laws. It's, your, it's, it's like, not even the attempt, but, right, it's like the selfish misconception, misconception. that induces you, right? It's like yeah, your yeah. own myopia, right? Yes. That, like, yeah. pushes you into being like, this is everything. This and is then like that the myopia, And then that myopia is... Um, that the outcome of that myopia is to see concrete facts as universal abstractions. Right. 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 That like, which is, I think sort of brilliant that it's like, you really are deluded when you take just like a few concrete facts and you transform them into these universal laws. Right. right? I mean, this is the part where like, what was it? Fukuyama in the night in the eighties writes the end of history. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is a part where like Marx, the, the ghost of Marx is just guffawing right, right, at this. Right. Right. Because this is like the clearest evidence of all. 
that like mm -hmm. somehow now this bourgeois political scientist uh, has decided that the, that now history's over. History's ending. Like, does it get more abstract than history? Like you're talking about like an abstraction of an abstraction. Like it's right. an abstraction of time, which is itself. Right as we are learning in this period, is just a total made-up abstraction. <laughs> what is time? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea Maybe what time is. Yeah. So I like that passage, right? I think it's, yeah, I think yeah. it's when Marx is, like, really on fire. All right. So this is, we're, after this one, we're going to jump ahead quite a lot, it looks like. We are. We're going we're gonna to make some jumps in the text so after big, Marx has landed some serious punches. Big jump. That, that one, uh, are you to page 108 yet? Yes. That is just oh, yeah, to introduce and contextualize part three. Okay. It just This part is just contextualizing part three because I feel like part three is the, is the section of the text where most students read it and they're like, what the fuck is this about? Like, why is he talking about all of these other socialists? I don't understand. Like, what's the difference between this? And but, it's like when you can really identify the, the students who are like, themselves Marxists uh -huh. is when like they know what part three is about. <laughs> like, like if a student, if a student says to me like, well, if a student starts fielding questions on part three of the manifesto, <laughs> like, I know that they are definitely already They're a Marxist. They're all in already. Yeah, they are all in, which I love by the way. All right. I love it if you're not too, but I, I love it all. Yeah. You know, I mean, as long as you're excited about an idea, if you ever get excited about an idea, I love that. Yeah. Ideas are fun. All right, so we're on page one hundred eight to bring us back to. This eventually. is Ingalls from the eighteen eighty eight preface. You didn't. You uh, weren't assigned oh, okay, this. Okay. The students were not assigned this. Okay. This is uh, you are reading it for the students. Okay. So that uh, I mean, I could have read this one, but it doesn't matter. It was in your pile. Hand. All right, so here's here's a little Ingalls help for us here. By socialists in eighteen forty seven were understood on the one hand, what the. On the one hand, the adherents of the various utopian systems. On the other hand, the most multifarious social quacks, who by all manner of tinkering profess to redress without any danger to capital and profit all sorts of social grievances. In both cases, men outside the working class movement. Okay. So what Ingalls says is when we wrote part three, right. what socialism was was a bunch of utopians. Right. And by utopians, he means, like, people right. who are going to form their own communities and drop out. Right. And okay. a bunch of, like, weirdos. A bunch of social quacks. Social quacks who are going to fix everything but Without not actually change capital. anything. Right. And what, what distinguished. And they were all bourgeoisie anyway. And what distinguished communism, exactly, what distinguished communism was that communism was in the communist league of which they were a part, Marx and Engels had some affiliation with authentic, whatever that means, uh, working class movements. Okay. Right. So I think this is important for knowing what, what Marx and Engels are attacking in section three of the manifesto mm -hmm. when they are distinguishing themselves from all of these other kinds of socialism and saying what communism is. So you just have to remember that basically it, when the manifesto is written, Socialism is like aristocratic utopians and aristocratic goofballs, <laughs> right? Basically, right. right? Right, and I mean, in a certain regard, you bourgeois still goofballs. See, you still see some of that. I mean, new, we know some of those. 
some of the we know too many of them. people. We know all these people. What's great is like I feel like it would be really nice uh, another like an alternative uncensored podcast would be one where where the next cards you read we identify who we know as <laughs> one of these types of socialists. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm sure we could. We, yeah, anyway. All right. So on You to can email back- me for the bonus content. <laughs> Just kidding, you can't. <laughs> Back to the text that you read, uh, 93 of the, and here it appears they're talking about the reactionary feudal socialists. Yeah. What they upbraid the bourgeoisie with is not so much that it creates a proletariat as that it creates a revolutionary proletariat. So yeah, they don't care. It sounds like that there were workers that were being exploited so much as that it might cause revolution. Right, that right. That upend the bourgeoisie. Right, so stop exploiting the workers because they might revolt. They might revolt. Right, which I feel like is the part of our contemporary world where you get, um, I feel like the way to think about this, or one way I think about this, uh, it's not the only way to think about it, but one way to think about this is the recent excitement for including in shareholder statements environmental, social, and governance goals, right? That, like, when companies now report out their profits on their right. quarterly earnings calls, they also talk in these quarterly earnings calls about environmental, social, and governance goals, which really they're not super interested in, but recognize the way in which capitalism is creating the seeds of its own revolution, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, what they're mostly concerned about is the possibility of revolution. They're not really concerned about like, hey, shareholders, we're going to decrease our returns because it's fucked. Right. It's like, hey, we're acknowledging wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That we can that we can you know stave off a little bit of revolution just by you know somehow acknowledging that revolutionary ideas may be circulating. I feel like the environment is far from these concerns, actually. Far from which concerns? Of the revolution. I mean, maybe we won't see that in the coming era. That will, in fact, be part of the revolutionary thing as we're all frying or whatever. But. I would think about this much more as like the democratic socialists of the contemporary welfare state. Ah, uh-huh. like a hundred percent of like want to preserve who are like yeah, like they're like oh, we're going to redistribute this to so prevent that revolution. We don't have revolution. Like we need to make people all happy so that they. And well, this is why I remember John Stevens, our graduate yeah. professor who was like, well, he was when crazy. I was a grad student. No, you got to sound more like a Texan. <laughs> no, I, can't. I can't. I don't think I can. I don't think I can pull off the Texan. Um, he was amazing, but yeah, he was like, I mean, when I was, I was a grad like, student, I was- <laughs> when I was a grad student, everyone thought I was conservative because I was a social Democrat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And, but I think you're right. I mean, like, the I mean, social Democrats in a way. Yeah, I absolutely think that that's what this is sort of like far more talking about is like, I mean, I don't think it's actually fair to lob that totally on Democratic Socialists. No, no, of course not. Of but course like, not. I think to some degree that sort of sense that like we can actually fix some of this with welfare policy is a very like, and I mean. Let's preserve you, you existing saw, social relations. You saw the. I mean, I don't think it's true that it to- totally does that. Maybe more in s- depending on the welfare state that gets formed, right, and how much 
who was part of those alliances that create it. But I mean, I think absolutely some now of the... Now you're talking like a comparativist I from am. UNC. Well, anyway, the, some of the social policies definitely are about staving off rebellion, for sure. I think. For I sure, mean, for sure. You see that in the United States. I mean, when you're getting sort of like the fear of protest of soldiers returning and mm-hmm. not having their needs met, and like then you get some like makeshift social policy. Why? Not because we're concerned about the sort of conditions of labor, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because we don't want those guys to... Yeah. You know, rebel. So, you know, yeah. That's the feudal socialists, the ones right. who want to do not, I mean. Th- that are worried from- about revolution, but less about the structure. All right. So page 95, we've got the petty bourgeois socialists. Yes. My favorite socialists. <laughs> this form of socialism aspires either to restoring the old means of production and exchanges. Oh, yes. We with, love the petty bourgeois socialists. And with them, the old periphery relations and the old society or don't shop at Amazon, man. Shop local. Shop local. Or to cramping the modern means of production and of exchange within the framework of the old property relations that have been and were bound to be exploded by those means. I love the mom and pop shops. I love the mom and pop shops. I love my local tattoo artisan. I love my local tattoo artisan. Yeah. Meanwhile, like Amazon is barreling down, oh, yeah. creating drone tat bots yeah. <laughs> that are going to come. And like you're like order a tattoo and Amazon's going to drone you a tattoo. You, yes. And it's like only 30 bucks. Yeah. These are the petty bourgeois socialists, the ones who, who think that somehow, I mean, we can go back. Yeah. And it's great. It's great. If you love this stuff, right. Uh, I can recommend C. Wright, C. Wright Mills's white collar, uh, from the late fifties, early sixties. Great explication in a really highly literary form of sociology that is explaining the, the continued prevalence through the 20th century, this kind of petty bourgeois socialism that's like all about propping up the little guy against the large evil, these morality fables we were talking about last time, right? Yeah, but I like mean, Marx is kind of like, y'all, like that boulder is coming down, yeah. right? It's coming down the pathway. Yeah. And I feel like right now we're actually literally We're literally watching it. Like, and I mean, to be clear, we love the mom and pop. Love the mom and pop. I, I have been thinking a lot about how there's a house plant store in in our town that i love dearly (laughs) i may get a little choked up thinking about this amazing and like as i think about this boulder rushing down i'm like how in the hell is that little houseplant shop gonna gonna survive possibly fucking make it like i it was amazing how did they in the first place but you know but yeah. anyway, no, so, it's, yeah, just to be, to be clear. So this is the petty bourgeois socialism. Okay. These are the ones, these are the, this is the shop local crowd yeah, of shop local. the 21st century. Shop at your co-op. Do those things if you want, right? Yeah. Mark says, the ship done sailed. Right. All right. Um, Where are you? Now we're on page 98. I was 98. thinking about... Other thing about shopping local, Thinking yeah. The co-op. And yeah, we love shopping local. I've been getting my podcast mixed up. I was going to make another kombucha joke, but then I realized that was they haven't a, heard those. That was well, maybe I don't know. Maybe some people are <laughs> if you're dipping into, dipping into my the other American the world the other courses. Some, some I don't know how many subscribers we've got. You I know, because you can subscribe on iTunes. Just so you know, yeah. If you didn't know that already, you can or on subscribe. Your favorite podcasting wherever app. you get your podcasts. Yeah. 
All right, 98. Can't wait to go to bed on our Casper mattress. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. A sleep number bed. Sleep number bed, yeah. Um, no, that's like old NPR shit, sleep number. We're almost there, you know. I mean, that's probably our listening audience. Because you know it's their parents that are more interested in hearing this than no, my what students, am I paying for? My students have been definitely listening to our podcast. All right, hit me with uh, some other socialists. 98 of bourgeois Socialism. Not petty bourgeois socialists, bourgeois socialists. True bourgeois. True bourgeois. This is good. We like the these socialists. Socialistic a lot. bourgeois want all the advantages of modern social conditions without the struggles and dangers necessarily resulting therefrom. They desire the existing state of society minus its revolutionary and disintegrating elements. They wish for a bourgeoisie without a proletariat. It but requires in reality that the proletariat should remain within the bounds of existing society, but should cast away all its hateful ideas concerning the bourgeoisie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this one's awesome. They're this a good is, one. This is your limousine liberal. These are exactly your limousine liberals. Well, um, there's some limousine liberals. They are, do you, they, I bet the students don't even know about this. These are the rich socialists. Right, the bourgeois socialists, the ones who, according to Marx and Engels, like, it's not even quite can't we all just get along socialism. It's And it's not really like, like, it's unclear exactly what the program is for the bourgeois socialists. It's like, I guess it's a bunch of hand-waving and yeah, it's, it's like, like liberal I values. Want it to still be awesome. And I wish that you didn't exist in that sad way. But I really wish you didn't hate me. And so, what does that person do? What do they do? I don't even actually know if that's the limit. Oh, it, but it is because astute readers of part three will remember who these bourgeois socialists are. So the person who says, I don't want anything to change. I just wish you didn't hate me. What do they do? Like with their time. They're bourgeois, so they don't have to work. I don't know. Go give alms to the poor. It's like Bismarck. No, wait, poor laws, England, British poor laws. Do-gooders. Do-gooders. Do-gooders are the this charitable workers are often bourgeois socialists. Right, right. Who are going to alleviate the suffering of the poor and want the best for those poor people. And so please don't hate me. And you remember me when the revolution <laughs> comes. It's sort of an insurance policy, bourgeois <laughs> socialism. Right? I mean, fair, you know. I mean, I suppose if Marx thought that it were really that, he might be more <laughs> sympathetic. <laughs> but I think it's a little more twisted um, in Marx's view that these people, I mean, they come out, Marx makes them just look like dummies. Right. Right, well, honestly. I mean, in a certain regard, like, yeah, anyway. All right, next. Little Lebowski's urban achievers. <laughs> Lebowski's proud we are of all of them. We gotta watch that movie. I, I haven't gonna, seen that movie in a long time. We gotta time. watch that in this like period. I haven't watched that. I've been thinking about that period of lockdown. I think it'll hold up. I haven't seen it in many I'm years. Sure it'll hold up. You've seen it so many times that there's no holding up or not now. I a good point. 
You Good know? point. It's part of it's my like mental furniture. Itself. Yeah. All right. All right. Who are the next socialists? Of the utopian socialists. Yeah, they're fun. Utopian socialists are fun. They reject all political and especially all revolutionary action. They wish to attain their ends by peaceful means, necessarily doomed to failure, and by the force of example, to pave the way for a new social gospel. They're the soft revolutionaries, right? The ones who are like, let's just drop out and make art. And, like, our art will save the world. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, what we'll do is we'll meditate. Yeah, they're all the communists. And we'll love everyone. Yeah. And we'll, we will heal the world with love. Because once they've felt our love, they can't possibly. I mean, that'll change the world. Right. They're more fun to hang out with. Like, if I had to pick any of these socialists... I think I pick the utopians to hang out with. I mean, yeah, probably, right? I mean, you always want to pick the artist. Yeah, I mean, you definitely don't want to hang out. With the feudal socialists. But that's what I was going to say. Like, you just don't want the person that just, like, doesn't care about the injustice, just wants to not have revolution. Yeah, I don't want to hang out with the feudal socialists. And then, like, I mean, the reactionary one is, The petty like, bourgeois socialists? You know... I mean, Hard I to avoid. Small batch kombucha, you know, get some some of that from those guys. The bourgeois socialists. I suppose that probably being friends with the bourgeois socialists I mean, is very probably, comfortable. I was going to say, you probably get some nice snacks, right? And like, well, you're probably at the meals. Cape. You're probably mostly at the Cape some or Nantucket or something like that. So it's very nice. Nice. <laughs> the utopian socialists. You're definitely you're definitely at a farm in Pennsylvania. You know. No, you're on like a no because you, you know no, you're, you're in, in Vermont. intentional community. Like, yeah, it's beautiful. Absolutely, I was thinking. I was actually thinking about more like yeah, like totally the intentional community where like somebody lives in an army tent because they came Davo. out in an army Davo tent. Davo in the army like, tent. Yeah, man. Like he was an Iraq veteran. That's absolutely the utopian. It's beautiful. Just like Blue Heron yeah. Farm, that was called. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those are good socialists to hang out with if you're going to pick socialist teams. Is there one more socialist or one more group? Um, no, the last quote. The last quote that I have here. I skipped the German true socialists, by the way, just in case you're listening. <laughs> they weren't as interesting. They weren't as fun. Um, yeah. He's just talking about like Germans who took really like romantic french socialists and made it super cerebral um okay yeah sure just because like the germans do as you do all right the last thing we've got here is uh from 102 the communists disdain to conceal their views and aims they openly declare that their ends can be attained only by the forcible overthrow of all existing social conditions let the ruling classes tremble at a communistic revolution. The proletarians have nothing to lose but their chains. Yeah, there we go. They have a world to win. Yeah, it's good, good classic Marxist prose here, classic Marxist rhetoric. And what Engels and Marx are doing here is, again, just to go back to that uh, way this section was introduced, is there distinguishing the communists from these other kinds of socialists and saying all these other socialists are not really interested in overthrowing anything. Right. We are. 
we communists are. We're going to tear it all down. We're not dropping out. We're not just alleviating things at the side. We're not going back. We're going forward into the future. And we are working people. And we're going to take all your stuff away. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, we're going to be free. And we're going to run the world. Right. Wow. Got nothing to lose but our chains. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, terrifying to those other kinds of socialists in many ways, I think. Terrifying to... I mean, maybe some could get on board. Well, it would take a tremendous amount of downward pressure on many of those socialists. Well, I mean, but Mark says it's coming for him anyway, so... I mean... I mean, certainly not. You don't get the bourgeois socialist can't get on board with this, right? Unless he's like, he has to stop being bourgeois to like have that. And it may happen, but probably, you know, I mean, I don't know what happens to the bourgeois who. And I mean, the reactionary one is also presumably bourgeois, right? Because he just doesn't want revolution. Mm hmm. Probably is really quite aristocratic, right? Because it's still somehow managed to hang on to a little vestige of feudal. Yeah. Right, this is the monarchy. Right, right. <laughs> right. This is Prince Andrew. And I suppose that the petty bourgeois socialism, I mean, again, I mean, I think that you're closer to getting some of those, I mean, given that this has a mixed brew of people in it, but like mm-hmm. that you're going to have essentially intellectuals, poets, artists. Like, and the petty bourgeois socialists. I think that there you might get some of them that could come over. A few, over but not that. many, not many. And then the utopians, I mean. They're killing them with kindness, man. I mean, I guess if they're really committed pacifists, then that's the like going to be a non-starter, right? Total non-starter for the pacifist. Yeah. Yeah, so you just gotta, you know, the ruling classes tremble at a communistic revolution. That's what it sounds like. That's what it sounds like. They tend to tremble a little bit. Seems that way. At possible, at at legitimate threats of revolution. And then they redistribute like a good uh, feudal aristocrat. Bourgeois socialist. Right. I mean, America loves the petty bourgeois socialists as well. We love entrepreneurialism. We love entrepreneurialism. Which is its own kind of petty... I mean, it's a, it's a redefinition of petty bourgeois yeah, socialism. Absolutely. Small businesses. We love small businesses. Yeah. Right? Yep. Farms, family farms. We love the family farmer. The idea of it. We don't actually... As no. a country. I mean, as individuals. And nor do we really love the small business person. No, correct. I mean, we love the small Go business person. Go back to the person. opening of your dad losing his pharmacy. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't love that. Or any of these small business loans that have, like, all that, that entire yeah. small business loan program that was looted by large corporations. Yeah. Right? I mean, we don't actually love small business loans. Right. We love the idea. Yeah. We love the ideology of it. Right. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, the Spark I mean, stuff we, is wild. We kind of love the small thing, except... Often not when you can get something cheaper elsewhere. Oh, right. Right. Or or save time. Right. right? Yeah. You know, and not shop at 17 stores. Yeah, which not I mean, drive 40 minutes to Target and yeah. let Amazon bring it to your door. Yeah. 
Money Love Target that. is still another. Uh, not that much. I mean, maybe by the end of this, I don't know. Sure, 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 sure. Not even talking about going to the local hardware store right. to get your correct whatever your yeah. Rubbermaid your true value that Rubbermaid tub to store your shit in Value Home Center. Value Home that doesn't Center. have an E on it. Yeah, that's how they <laughs> save so much money. Value. So that they have a shorter sign, a smaller yeah. <laughs> sign. Yeah, I mean, I guess there is a real question about we don't we are not really in the best position to answer this, but you were suggesting that you thought Marx had continued relevance, and I was suggesting that I thought that Marx had less relevance among left-oriented people today. I mean, maybe I don't know. I mean, I guess this is something that you guys could think about a little whether or not some of the I mean I don't think they're incompatible necessarily but I mean whether or not some of the like identity politics movements have made identity more salient than class and whether that has reduced the certainly is that's certainly there that's certainly in the mix certainly in the mix you see a greater emphasis on that so I mean there's that and you also, I think that also the environmental movement has right, also taken has blunted some of. I mean, although you have some recent pieces of left environmental thought that are right highly Marxist, like Naomi Klein's stuff is like capitalism versus the climate, right? That like okay, yeah, sure. are clearly indicating this. But I feel like there's certain aspects of the environmental movement that are like, let's be a little careful about upending capitalism because you know that'll impede our movement's traction i feel like i would actually think less about that part i'm not sure that i think that so much as just that some of the environmental movement just has nothing to do with the conditions of labor right the part that's like save our wild spaces which I, I'm 100% for saving our wild spaces. Sure, sure. I just don't think it has anything to do with, like, the conditions of labor. I think somewhere you get into, like, environmental racism or whatever that's about, like, mm-hmm. it starts to get into class, I think, in, in terms of, I mean, at least the effects of, like, industrial production on certain poor communities, right? I think you start to see it there. I mean, certainly when you think about things like mountaintop removal and some of these like coal Mm -hmm, mining mm -hmm. and where the environmental impact and the impact on the actual individual humans that are doing that work. Right, right. It's like killing the people. Or or parts of Green New Deal folks who are really emphasizing a, a, a federal jobs guarantee to create new, uh, more e- environmentally efficient, like right. like there's parts of the Green New Deal that are like, let's give everyone insulation right. in their houses, right. and we'll and the federal government will provide right. all the insulation and the jobs for that. Right. So I think some I of think that kind is of a smart not idea. What kind of a smart idea? Yeah. So I think some smart of it is enough. Is, is I think some not of stupid. Is, I think some of those things, is, but that's again like one of those things that is like. That's definitely about trying to save energy and not has nothing to do with class relations, class relations. Well, except making the federal government an employer and like. Sure, sure, sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, in that way, I think in that way, it's it's closer to Marxism. Right. And maybe. people and probably gets people really like there are probably a lot of people who mm. would be like, that is. Yeah. An abomination. Oh, yeah, certainly. 
I mean, but you could say, I mean, we could come up with people that say that about almost everything. It's <laughs> a good point. It's um, a good point. Okay, so we have environmentalism. I see environmentalism as potentially being. Could go either way. Could go either could way. Could go either way. I mean, the other thing that I think you have that is, and then maybe we got to like wrap it up here, but is actually the rise of the gig economy, which I think could be thought about as like one of these renovations that Marx mm-hmm. is talking mm-hmm. about. Yes. Absolutely. But as Marx's solution, even in the manifesto, right, is all about unions and unionization and the politics of like coming together as a class. And I think that, I mean, if we think about the renovations of capital, we think about the ways in which it has solved its own problem of like having too many workers with the same boss altogether, the same oppressive boss altogether on the floor, right? Right. And that that was a problem because that, like, created a lot of good conditions for organizing and that the contemporary economy has less good conditions for organizing in the U.S., especially, where we have a weak history of unions anyway compared to other sure uh, countries and then where now you have, like, that, that framework is going to be less, like... I mean, what we have a distributed labor force that, yeah, even in in places uh, like hotels where it's like half the work. I mean, like everybody's employed by someone different. I don't know. I mean, that is I think that's relevant. I think that's relevant. Although in the in the time of in Marx's time, the workers were in the mid 19th century were there was huge amounts of turnover. Like this was a highly, I mean, we would right, call it a distributed. Kids also probably too, right? You had some child labor, right? You didn't have expansive child labor protections, but so, so you still have in that period, you still have like a large group of people who are really fluidly moving between employers, right? Who are not just subject to a single boss, Right. So you you had similar kinds of conditions the way that an Uber driver mm. right of today. I mean, but it not so atomized. Right? I mean they're still on the shop floor together when they're there. No? When they are at work. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think that is right. Right. I, mean, I, think I see that's what you see. Different than I mean, not that you couldn't end up having people coming and going with relative frequency, but like once when they're at that job, then they're with all the other right. guys that are and ladies and kids. <laughs> right. Sad. Right. That are at that job, right? That they're all. Right. And I think I think that so that's an interesting component of it. But I think the most important decline of Marxism as a relevant. I mean, it's still relevant. Don't get me wrong. But its declining relevance, I think, has a lot to do with the financialization of the economy since the 1970s, where you and I, for example, right. are not going to receive a pension. Right. We're going to have our 401k. We're going to have yeah. return, like our retirement depends. Our, right. On the stock market. On the yeah. stock market. And for so many workers, that's the case. And then for many workers now who are being increasingly incorporated into capital, Right, this, the tech workers I was talking about last time. Right, right, right with their like, stock options, so their yeah. income. Like the moment, the promise of when they become a capitalist, right, is not at retirement, but at a certain like when their stock becomes vested. Right, right, right. Though I feel like the thing that's 
curious about all that. I mean, first of all, and I mean, I don't know the relevance. I would have to think about, I don't know what that looks like in Europe in terms of like how relevant Marxism still is or whatever. I, but I don't know. We should go to Europe and find out. <laughs> find out. Well, I was thinking about a place that might still have far more defined pensions. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure, sure. Right. Um, because, like, I don't feel like my 401k has actually made me at all a capitalist or the bour- oh, a bo- sort of bourgeois in any meaningful sense, except that at, when the economy tanks, I'm like, shit. <laughs> right? But it's not like... So it's like a weird, I mean, I think mm-hmm. it has power. This is not, mm-hmm. I think I made this argument. None of your students will have had me in politics of equality, I don't think. But like, I talked about, we talked about this mm-hmm. in politics of equality and what that does when you are tied to this, those stock markets and where it's essentially you've been given. But it's like you've been given, I mean, if we go back to Marx, we, we have such a diminutive capital. In it's this true. Sense, it's right? true. That it's like, there's no chance that like we become the bourgeois with our shitty 401ks, right? Right. Do you know what I mean? It's but not there like... are plenty of people in our position who do not want to see themselves as proletarians. Oh, right? well, right. But that has nothing to do with the argument that you're making right now, which is that somehow Marx has lost its value because we all have a 401k. Not value, relevance. Relevance. That's well... it's the... not like I'm like, it's not like I'm like, yeah, now, now with my 401k... It's a special new socialist. <laughs> sure, the, the 401k, 401k socialist. Yeah. Yeah, although I think that would probably become a part. I think that would I become... Mean, maybe if I was, that's... like, rocking my stock options, I would feel differently. I don't know. I don't have any stock options. I don't know. I have a not very robust 401k. No. Anyway. So are there any wrap-up thoughts that we want to leave the students with? Any open-ended questions that you want them to mull? I think all of the open-ended questions that Marx proposes, I want you to mull. You guys can think about this question, certainly. about. I'd love to hear your thoughts about whether or not you think Marx is or is not relevant. And uh, I would love to know more about that as well. And if, if not, what you think has made Marxism irrelevant in your in your lives your, I was gonna, that, in your that's analysis. not what I want to say you know uh, but in like your kind of like social scene right yeah. like not in necessarily in your life but like American youth sort of. I've noticed in the last couple of years American youth if our first year students count as American youth which I think they do um, a lot of concern with gun violence Right, the trauma of that versus... Which is not yeah. really a... I mean, that's really all about toxic masculinity. Right. right? And that's... I mean, which maybe has, like, in an right. abstract yeah, way, yeah, something yeah, yeah. to do with... But certainly But not, not directly at all, and and yeah. maybe not even... Marx is definitely not thinking about this. Definitely not thinking definitely about this, right? not thinking about this. Yeah. So there's lots of things that Marx is not thinking about. Right. Right? And lots of things that... that I mean, you know. and he's only really thinks about race and gender in as potential barriers to organi- organizing, right. Right? right? I mean, like, he just sees it as, like, a potential problem that we need to overcome to organize better. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, so I think I don't think there's many. I don't think there's anything to any big open-ended questions. I, I just remember the takeaways from from this particular section, right? Is that like not all forms of socialism are communism, right? And that like right. Marxism and socialism are not the same thing. But I mean, I hate to be one of these Marxists, right? That's like, but it but it is important to remember. That there are all kinds of available ways of being anti-capitalist in a way that are not necessarily Marxist. Right. I think that that is super important to recall. Yeah. I mean, I always teach my students that probably, I mean, maybe you would think it was like abhorrent, the stuff about sort of Marxism versus socialism versus communism that Marxism is more a way of thought than it is. Like it was like a method, like of analysis almost more than, uh, like a program and then that's what our professors always said yeah <laughs> i don't know if it's true or not but i, I it's fine do it's fine about it in that way and then i always think about this i always teach the socialism versus communism thing actually because i'm teaching it as it exists in the world as opposed to the way it exists in this text where i teach often that communism is really in a lot of actual politics as you get into this period is really the groups that are affiliated with the soviets Sure. In that particular style versus socialism, which is more about the state control of the economy kind of more broadly. And that that is, in fact, a bigger bucket and that the communists is like becomes a later. Subset. Right. This is far later than Marx. Right. This is more much later than mm-hmm. like by the periods I'm talking about. What's the important difference between a Soviet? I mean, a socialist and a communist is that one is tends to be affiliated with Soviet styles of thought and planning right Mm -hmm. and uh alliances for that matter and then the socialists tended to be about redistribution without that link to the soviets without necessarily interest in things like central planning and right but it's i think we're talking about a very different period of it's true it's true you know yeah so the takeaway big takeaway communism socialism not the same thing anti-capitalist alternatives are are varied. varied. Um, the other important part here to remember is that that Marx rem- reminds us that the bourgeoisie were a revolutionary class. Right. That this is at the very top of this one. The, the bourgeois. This episode. I mean, the bourgeoisie were a revolutionary class, and so the idea that the proletariat would be a revolutionary class and displace the bourgeoisie that you wouldn't think that's possible, that you wouldn't think it was inevitable, that you wouldn't think it is desirable is is really short-sighted on the part of the bourgeoisie. Like, history moves forward, right? And right. that, like, that's the important part, right, to tie it back to the past episode, that this is, like, in part a theory of history here. And that so, so before we get into all of the pedantic varieties of anti-capitalism, that what concludes the kind of theory of history is Marx saying, like, you know, I mean, it almost strikes a Machiavellian note in that he he's like, I mean, the winds of fortune, like fortune done, it, it changes things. Right, 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 right. And the idea that the idea that the bourgeoisie have built enough dikes and levees to prevent right, right. the raging river of fortune, like, I don't know, man, you probably haven't, is what Mark says. Right. Right. And I mean, though, here we are. 
Here we are. 2020. They've been still bailing pretty, out banks. Still pretty creatively <laughs> renovating. Yeah, creatively Especially renovating. And, and like Marx, if the little workers of the world unite. Uh, that's how. That's the last line of the manifesto. <laughs> workers of the world unite. Be safe. Thank you.